you know, of all the kind of social and environmental determinants of health, it turns out that the built environment is one of the things that is kind of actually more amenable to change. It's hard to change it at scale, <laughs> which is why I need the help of the, your audience, because uh, I am not a, a change. I don't make places. Uh, I, I now have a job where I get to influence that, but I really, it's the, it's going to be a group effort. But if we can band together, we can make healthier places and the evidence shows that it makes a big difference. Since March 2021, Dr. Matthew Trowbridge has worked full-time at the International Well Building Institute, which offers the well certification for buildings and for companies. He's a medical doctor and a medical school professor with a deep background in green building research, in particular, the role that natural and built environments play in health outcomes. Dr. Trowbridge is a scientist with a passion for buildings and the building process. I'm Therese Fitzgerald, Executive Editor at Commercial Property Executive. Welcome back to Sustainability Street, our podcast on the intersection of commercial real estate and the world we live in. For this episode, I interviewed Dr. Trowbridge about how COVID, ESG, work from home, and other forces are influencing how we define healthy buildings and health-minded organizations today. Why do I focus so much on the built environment? Uh, it's a question I get frequently uh, as a physician. And the answer basically, and it sounds maybe a little bit flippant, but I really mean it genuinely. Um, the data brought me here. When public health looks back over the last several decades, the big lesson learned is that you know, when you think about things that actually drive health outcomes as defined by you know quality of life and things like life expectancy, uh, it turns out that only about 20% of health outcomes are driven by uh, the quality of medical care that we receive. Basically, 80% everything else comes from what we call in public health, uh, the social and environmental determinants of health. So it's essentially when you think about the things that you can modify in your life to change your health outcome, that's what we're getting at. And it turns out that where you live, kind of the health choices that you have available in your daily life makes a huge difference in terms of obviously the health behaviors you adopt and therefore your long-term health, whether that's things like, and we give you the recommendation of being physically active and eating healthily. However, if those choices aren't easily available to you, it's hard to take those choices. So why the built environment within that? You know, of all the kind of social and environmental determinants of health, it turns out that the built environment is one of the things that is kind of actually more amenable to change. It's hard to change it at scale, <laughs> which is why I need the help of the, your audience, because uh, I am not a, a change. I don't make places. Uh, I, I now have a job where I get to influence that. But I really, it's, it's going to be a group effort. But if we can band together, we can make healthier places. And the evidence shows that it makes a big difference. And that that's the uh, evidence uh, geeky reason why I do this. I, I also have really genuinely fallen in love with the design process, the art of of making places, also the history of making places. I, I genuinely see myself as I have my own expertise to bring to this mission and field we all work on together, i.e. 
my power, you know, like the way I've been trained to think uh, as a physician. But yeah, I love the way that, you know, the places that we build, buildings, uh, outdoor spaces, uh, road systems, they're fascinating. They, they show, uh, the quote I've always heard was, um, you know, architecture uh, reflects the values of the moment but reverberates for decades. So you have to be really intentional about it. And honestly, that's how I got started in this. In the early 90s is when I kind of got turned on to the built environment as a health issue. Uh, and at that time, our biggest issue in the United States was urban sprawl. Um, and so some of my earliest research projects that I did related to quantifying the impact of urban sprawl on emergency medical service systems, uh, just highlighting that, you know, uh, we weren't dealing with the externalities of things like if you build a sprawling exurb, uh, guess what? It's really hard to deliver ambulance care uh, when our residential lives are spread out and kind of a rural kind of construct. And yet we really weren't thinking about that. And we certainly weren't also offering, making that choice clear to customers, uh, you know, kind of in this case, people buying homes. So that's why I became fascinated with it. And I still am today. That's really exciting. So you were chief medical officer at IWBI and also an associate professor at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. So you were literally at the intersection of real estate and health. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the joys of, of my career to date has been this idea of, you know, I get to interact with um, academia. Uh, I, I get to interact uh, and, you know, now I have it as my day job now as the chief medical officer at the International Well Building Institute. I'm obviously, uh, I get to exp interact with uh, groups influencing the built environment all across the board. But yeah, I've really enjoyed, you know, learning how, how places that we live in come to be. And I am a systems thinker. Uh, you know, uh, I think that's actually where my expertise is most valuable is kind of trying to understand not so much, you know, how to tell an architect what to do, but to create the set of conditions in the market, whereby architects who want to make thriving places are being asked to do so, and that capital flows come to them from it, that investors, uh, you know, my, my goal at this point is to, and IWI's goal is to not just create a great well standard, which we have, but also, uh, you know, another role I play at IWI is as executive sponsor for what we call our investing for health initiative. And that is focused on this new realm of ESG, sustainable finance. But really what we're trying to do is to show that investors who have come to expect that they can ask questions about where their money is going in terms of sustainability, in terms of environmental aspects of the built environment. We believe they should have the right and it's good business for them to start asking questions about, well, what about the people-focused aspects of uh, where my investments are going when you're deploying your real assets? How do they fit into a people-focused strategy you know, across ES and G, but particularly, I think there's so much more work we can do on the S and the G to just make places awesome. Uh, for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so the well building standard mm -hmm. started out with seven concepts, um, air, water, nourishment, light, fitness, comfort, and mind. And now there's 10. So I guess uh, sound, materials, and community have been added. Mm -hmm. How does that reflect changes in the science or the research on healthy buildings? Right. 
what I love about working at IWBI is I've never had, you know, I'm a researcher, but I've never had a hundred person uh, organization to work with. Our job, uh, as it pertains to the well-building standard, is to take in all available evidence and turn it into actionable strategies uh, that can be employed and then make sure that the market recognizes companies, project teams, owners, occupants that, uh, you know, take that step and really put their people first. The reality is, uh, I think our understanding of all the ways in which our, not just our outdoor environments, but our indoor environments impact our lives is always growing. So the concepts have kind of grown over time, but I, I don't think it's just as that, like it, the 10 concepts and the breadth of it are actually one of the big reasons I joined IWBI because, you know, from its start, uh, well, well standard was really designed holistically, you know, it really, what I, what I love about, well, it's challenging, but that's, I, we're not backing down from it is that it's not just a checklist of features. It really is like a set of policies. It's, um, it is, it's, it sets the ambition for not just even literally like features you could walk in and put your hands on, but how is that place uh, operated? Um, what is the kind of, you know, in a, in the sense of kind of environmental life cycle stuff, like how was this building considered, you know, uh, how was it, in, how was the community engaged in terms of, you know, the impacts that this building would have and its operation, that type of thing. So I think those features are there, you know, because the evidence drives it, but also because as our understanding of what a building project can be at its best, uh, we try to reflect that there. And we're excited. And, and also uh, that that was set in stone early on, but well before I joined, we're benefiting from the fact of that holistic framework, because now as uh, you know, we're being companies are being asked to tell more sophisticated stories about how real estate, not just one asset, but all of their assets or their organizational strategies roll up to things like ESG stories. Uh, the fact that we have these things embedded and companies that have allowed themselves to be challenged to ask about things like community. Well, you're now really well positioned to tell, we believe, a really intentional story uh, through an engagement with well, as we like to say on the well journey, uh, which I think it is. And uh, we're excited to have people come along with us. <laughs> it's all about the data now. That's right. With the That's ESG. Right. You've spoken about the link between health and place. What did COVID teach us about that relationship? Well, sure. So I think the way I like to think about the built environment and health, um, I think we're very tempted to think only about their deterministic aspects of place and health. What do I mean by that? I mean something like air quality, uh, light, sound, like these things you can really direct impacts on us as individuals. Those are incredibly important. So I think that was always well understood by building professionals. I think COVID made the general population become extremely um, aware of that. I think all of us individually experienced that during, you know, continue to uh, having to adapt to COVID as a reality. So I think COVID certainly brought the deterministic aspects of the built environment's impact on health to a broader scale. So that's one thing. I think another thing that I've always been fascinated with, with the built environment, and, and it's reflected in, well, it's another, as I said, something that drew me to IWI is what I kind of like to think of as kind of like more like there are ways that the building serves as maybe this computer hardware to borrow the analogy. And then there are these really important programs like the software that you need to run that make a huge difference in our lives. I was introduced to this originally through schools because I'm originally trained as a pediatrician. So a lot of my work with architecture started at school levels. And 
you know, there was very little evidence when we were starting this work on like deterministic aspects of school design that would impact something like childhood obesity prevention. But there were decades of extremely well uh, backed up research on school-based obesity prevention programming, like, you know, scratch cooking in schools, uh, physical activity curricula, you know, recommended daily physical activity amounts for children. So what I found and to be really exciting was to think about, um, as I came into that space, I realized while we had been studying the programming, we had been treating the school environment kind of as a commodity. And I didn't believe it actually was. I think we were saying, oh yeah, this school program will work, you know, that recommends scratch cooking will will work just as well in a school with a 1940s style, you know, assembly line kitchen as it does in a cutting edge modern kitchen designed from, from the, the ground up for, for scratch cooking. I just, that's not true. Uh, it'll be much easier for that food staff to implement. They'll be inspired to. So I think that type of thinking can now be brought and is, is embedded in well to things like office environments. You know, what are the wellness and well-being programs you want to run uh, that are important to your employee base? And then let's give you credit and let's make sure we, we prompt you to know about those programs. And then let's think about the physical features of the work environment that will make those programs work that much better, help create the culture change that you're actually looking for. I think COVID brought all those things together as, you know, now we're thinking about remote work and hybrid work and, you know, what does it mean to come together versus what can we do virtually? And uh, so I think the quote unquote softer side of, well, you know, in terms of these communities and things like that become even more important. Absolutely. After a short break, how COVID impacted the work of IWBI. Hi, I'm Jessica Fior, Editor-in-Chief of Commercial Property Executive, and I'm here to spread the news about the premium content that you can receive in your inbox by subscribing to the CPE Daily Newsletter. Our experienced writers regularly put together special reports on the hottest topics in the industry, and you can get all these expert insights for free. To sign up, visit commercialsearch.com news today. Thank you. And what did COVID mean for the well certification? Was there a boost in interest following, during? <laughs> Quite frankly, COVID was transformational for IWBI. The big thing that happened in, during COVID, basically your last question all rolled up into that second question you just asked me. Um, essentially what happened in COVID is all at once, Fortune 500 companies realized that they needed to send an incredibly clear, intentional signal to their employees, to their customers, that they were doing everything possible to make their spaces safe. And they also realized they needed to deploy that whatever you know, activities, interventions they were going to do across all of their assets all at once. So they looked around. Uh, I think there was this collective you know, search, essentially, <laughs> for uh, a global authority that had the standing to create a product and a set of features that could be adopted and would be meaningful in the market. And what happened for our company is that it was IWI that a lot of Fortune 500 companies turned to. I was not there for this Herculean effort, but essentially IWI, what was innovated is they took the full catalog of well, the well standard, which is 
you know, several hundred features and then used our convening power to bring together close to 200 global experts on COVID and indoor air quality, particularly related to infectious disease, and identified the existing features in well that were relevant to COVID and packaged them as a, what is called the health safety rating. And so this idea of a rating being a kind of subset of the well standard, and then it was able to be launched within literally within just a few months. Uh, it was an amazing effort by our, our company. So the health safety rating has really has been adopted by close to 20% of the Fortune 500. It's being used around the world. And that really catapulted us into a very different set of conversations. And we, I don't mean this lightly, we see it as a bit of a responsibility to try to make sure this mission that we have to make you know, healthy places available to everyone, we now know we have a bigger opportunity, a bigger stage to kind of be part of a corporate strategy related to people, not just their real assets. And so COVID was transformational in that way. And, uh, you know, it, it shows up in statistics. Um, we are into the billions of uh, square feet enrolled now which is quite remarkable. And we are in uh, well over 100 countries. Uh, we have you know, well over 20,000 projects and we have close to 20,000 well APs at this point. It's a different scale uh, after COVID. And I, I really wanna emphasize again that we're seeking input from folks to make sure that we represent a mission to a large group of people and we, we don't take that lightly. Yeah, I guess it's, kind of been a perfect, I don't want to say perfect storm, but between COVID and the emphasis on ESG, you must be very busy. We are busy. We are busy. (laughs) So this fall, many employees were walking into their buildings for the first time since the outbreak of COVID. How has the work environment changed or how should it be changing to maximize health and well-being? The real conversation that's happening everywhere is is this ongoing discussion about what is the future of work. Uh, you know, what is what does it mean to have hybrid work, which is really a challenging thing. What is the role of place uh, and convening? Again, I I think that's where the strength of the well uh, approach is really important. Um, I think those questions are going to have to be resolved at a company by company basis. Everyone's figuring it out all at the same time. And I personally have seen that I think the companies that are doing the best at it use things like well that are not just, again, a checklist of building features, but prompt a series of conversations around uh, programming, space, policies, things like that. And so if you don't think of it only as the built environment, but really what the well standard is designed to do is to create a work environment, which could be partially virtual. It's the intentionality that I really like. I think it also adopting well or, or something like it is a way for an organization to send a really clear signal to their employees that they value people, uh, their employees. And, and here is a set of catalog of features or, or strategies we're ready to, to consider. And, um, and then, you know, kind of adapting use, adapting, you know, small design features, uh, things like that. So I think it's important to remember, I think we're in phase maybe 2.1 of, of, a, of a who knows how many step moment where we kind of readjust the way we work and think about um, space is undoubtedly going to play a part in that, but we're, we're sorting it out. Um, and I think something like well can, can really help. That's a good point. The definition of the workplace <laughs> is certainly much broader 
than it ever was. So the International Well-Building Institute positions well certification as a complement to the other certifications, such as LEED, BREEAM, and the Living Building Challenge. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Don't mean to sound like a broken record, but honestly, I think the key thing that WELL offers is just an extremely clear, intentional focus on people in the same way that LEAD was transformational in terms of just allowing an intentionality uh, around addressing environmental concerns. The WELL standard allows the company, uh, a project team, to just not only announce an intentional focus, but to provide a structured uh, approach that ensures uh, a more holistic set of questions are asked and that you don't miss opportunities to maximize the positive impacts on the people who are going to use the building and the broader community that's going to be impacted by it. So I see it as all these things are awesome. <laughs> we need to do all of it. A, a early part of my academic career, the reason I'm sitting in this job is I've been a student of the green building movement for a long time. That's actually my series of grants that I ran prior to this job was called the Green Health Partnership. And it was uh, it was sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, um, collaborated between UVA and the U.S. Green Building Council. And we built out a series of lead credits that were focused on health process. We did a lot of work with the enterprise green community system as well, helping them to figure out a, a health process. And ultimately, and this may be relevant to your audience, as you follow the storyline of how did the green movement work? How did it create with this, this opportunity? It ultimately led us to a really amazing uh, partnership that I'm very proud of with the GRES uh, ESG benchmark, which I'm pretty sure will be familiar to your audience. And it was my research team that developed what they called the health and well-being module uh, in 2015, 2016. So we've been working on ESG stuff for <laughs> a long time now. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a lot there and there's a lot that's coming. I think we're just getting started on this, but it's it wasn't just COVID. I think this this movement towards considering health and well-being is not just a flash in the pan. I think this is the next major thing. So there's the well health safety rating for buildings and the well performance rating for organizations. And now I read that you're going to have a third rating, well equity rating. Tell listeners about that and how equity is connected to health and well-being in buildings. Absolutely. Well, the well equity rating and the topic of equity and diversity, equity, inclusion, quite honestly, as a public health person, I think it's not the right question to ask, how do they relate? They are health and well-being. I mean, to not have everyone have access to health, well-being, and so forth, it, that's a non-starter. Um, if you know you have positive impacts from environments, the goal from day one should be that they are available to everyone. That part, just the equity lens is so important, and but really requires an incredibly intentional focus. Um, then there are things like diversity and inclusion, which again, I think they're easy to, to nod your head, but to actually make them happen um, takes organizational level commitment. And really, I think the blunt truth is there really is no such thing as an equitable organization in today's world. We're, the, we're starting from negative, actually. We actually have to kind of very intentionally kind of take apart the way we're used to doing things and set a very different track. And so things like the well equity rating, we're not pretending it's going to be the only thing that's necessary. But what the well equity rating represents is, again, using that same construct that 
allowed us to do the health safety rating is to look at the wells, larger well building standard, which already includes a huge focus on equity and just takes out those features that are most salient and make them immediately available and visible so that a company that really wants to kind of have a really particular focus on DEI can get started right today with evidence-based features that are ready to go. The version that launches won't be the last version, but we're excited about the features we're going to be putting out on day one. And then we'll be, you know, basically working with everyone to kind of keep expanding it over time. And that will be building level or organization? It can be level. employed at, at both. It's part of the well standard, so it can be employed as part of a single project. But I think it's also receiving huge interest at that organizational scale because there are very few products on the market that are kind of more pragmatic and focused at a realist for, for real estate professionals and investors. So there's a lot of interest in, and we're, to be honest, we're working directly with a kind of valuable customers to kind of make sure we understand their needs and adjust, you know, the ways we offer it, the ways we recognize it through products like our well at scale platform and so forth. You know, it's our ambition that we, we want to make sure if an organization to commit to equity and diversity and inclusion, that's going to need to be an organizational level commitment. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can with, with our tools, with our market leadership positioning to celebrate and encourage organizations ready to do that. And again, we're not pretending this is the only thing you should be doing, but we, we are trying to be part of that collective action spirit of saying, here's what we can offer in terms of market recognition, market differentiation for participants that are ready to take this big move. Yeah, that's really putting your money where your mouth is when you say you are an equitable organization. Exactly. Um, so you say there's a lot more work to be done. What do you think the next frontier is in health and well-being for buildings? Sure. Again, I think the, the next frontier is going to be a moment where that I've been looking forward to for a long time. It was, it was on the whiteboard when we were working with Grez. Essentially, we see a future that is coming really fast and I think is already in some ways here where the definition of high performance in real estate kind of at an organizational scale will increasingly include a company that is able to demonstrate an intentional focus on people, not just their employees, but also the community. We're just getting started on that. I think we're pretty, we have 20 years of history now because of the green building movement. We know how to target kind of more traditional environmental goals. When the market knows how to look for those signals, uh, investors know how to ask those questions. They know how to demand understanding of where did my money go in terms of environmental sustainability goals? What's coming next? And you can see it. It's not just the well standard. It's in regulations across the world, whether it's the, you know, the SEC kind of signaling, you know, coming disclosures on human and social capital in the EU, things like the social taxonomy that goes along with the environmental taxonomy. It keeps going, keeps going. There is a drumbeat that uh, organizations are going to have to tell an, a clear, intentional story, how they are on the positive side of impacts on people through not just their real estate, but their organizational culture and their organizational commitments writ large. Well, that's really exciting. I look forward to watching that. I hope I, I get to agree. see that. <laughs> no, you will. And I think that's the main thing I want to leave is a call to action that like, 
uh, the International Well Building Institute, I promise you all 100 of us, 100 plus of us, uh, wake up every day with a sense of responsibility that uh, the, with the growth of our company, with the with the positioning we have increasingly as a global authority, we take that as a serious responsibility and an opportunity. But ultimately, we are just here to activate and support your audience. This won't happen without a global movement. I hope everyone's inspired by what's been achieved through green building to date. And I think this is a new phase. I genuinely think it's good business, but I also just think it's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, we're at an early stage of this stuff. So everyone just needs to keep learning along with us and please keep engaging with us at IWBI. And uh, we can't wait to see what we're all going to accomplish together. Great. Okay, Matthew, thank you so much for joining sure. me. Okay, and good luck in your good work. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on Sustainability Street. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at therese.fitzgerald at cpe-mhn.com. Bye for now. Wow.